Hi, I'm co-host Lois Donkwa, and this is the 100 Alumni Voices podcast, stories that inspire, where we explore the personal and professional journeys of a diverse group of 100 doctoral alumni from Johns Hopkins University. Today, we're joined by Sabina Henneberg, PhD in International Relations and current fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Hi, Sabina. Hi. How are you today? Fine, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm excited to dive in, learn a little bit about your story and just, yeah, dive in. So to start, I'd love for you to just share with us what made you want to pursue a PhD in International Relations and really just hear a little bit about your graduate work. Sure. Before I decided to pursue a PhD, I uh, pursued a master's from um, Hopkins, also at the School for Advanced International Studies, SICE. And I didn't um, really know what I wanted to do after that, but I ended up working in North Africa um, and ended up working there during a period of, you know, significant upheaval um, known as the Arab Spring. So, um, so those events really sparked my interest in um, kind of thinking about them from a research perspective. <clears throat> and I had gotten to know the region and was really just in, intrigued by the region. Um, so I went back to SICE and I, I talked to the African Studies program there because, um, well, for various reasons, that program made the most sense for me to become a doctoral candidate. And um, and that's where I ended up doing my doctorate work. That's pretty cool. So it's, I love how for you, it starts from just initial learning that you were doing and you realized you just wanted to dive in more. Yeah, I guess I could say, you know, what I sometimes um, mentioned that I, I was working for an international development firm at the time. So I was going to North Africa, um, even though I was based here in D.C., um, to do the implementation of development projects, U.S. government-funded development projects. Um, and I was learning so much from doing that. And I was also sort of feeling like there wasn't a lot of um, research involved in that uh, work. And I wasn't a lot of asking questions when one was doing the implementing. And I really wanted to be asking more questions, you know, especially because the events of the so-called Arab Spring caught so many people off guard. It was just such a new... Um, interesting thing to research. So um, for all those reasons, yeah, I ended up going back to graduate school. That's exciting. And as someone that's interested in implementation and also recognizing the value of research when you are implementing something, I certainly understand the draw for that. So I'm I'm certainly curious to hear more then about what your doctoral work looked like. Like you were carrying... And this happens for a lot of us where you're carrying kind of knowledge and interests and questions that you have from your past. But how did that really manifest in your doctoral studies and how you thought about why you were pursuing a PhD, but what you were going to be doing in it? I, I guess I kind of feel like going back to graduate school, um, even though it was to study the same region that I had already been working in, was 
um, really an opportunity to come at the region with fresh eyes um, because as I mentioned, I was bringing a whole new set of questions, I guess. Um, I also, uh, yeah, that was very interesting. You know, I also ended up working in North Africa in the first place with the International Development Company because I had studied French in uh, school and French is used a lot in North Africa, but um, had never studied Arabic. And, um, you know, people who have worked on the Middle East know that Arabic is um, challenging for one reason, because it's so varied across the region. There are so many dialects and North Africa has some of the most obscure dialects. But uh, what I learned is that um, even just the process of studying Arabic, even if I didn't really use it to communicate that much, helped me kind of give me some insight into the way people think in the region. Um, yeah, North Africa, part of the reason that the dialects are so specific is because um, there's uh, influence of, yeah, there's influence of French from the colonial period. There's influence of the, like the Berber languages, what people say. So, so just that insight that, um, which some mentors also, well, one mentor in particular pointed out to me once, you know, just that insight of all these different influences and languages that go on in people's lives all the time gives you a new insight into like the way things work kind of. So I got, I had none of that when I was um, there before doing the, the doctoral work. Right. And that's, that's kind of a cool thing about doctoral study, right? It, it opens your eyes. Like you were saying, the reason you started your PhD was you wanted to have fresh eyes to the same thing that you're used to, but also it really opens your eyes to new perspectives and ways to look at the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And then I had also done the master's in international relations, which I think, you know, gave me a good foundation, but I, you know, a master's degree doesn't um, give you the same chance to go deep into the literature and the theory about, you know, questions of democratization and the aspects of political science I was looking at. So that was something new too. That's amazing. So I, I'm curious then what, what made you drawn to where you are now working on policy work. I focused me personally as someone that does health services research and policy. I understand the appeal, but I'd love to hear from you what made going in the policy direction make sense to you. And was it anything in your doctoral program that pushed you into your, that direction or something later? Yeah. Well, I think like, you know, like every one, the direction I took was a combination of, decisions and just um, events or things that happened to me, you know, things I didn't plan. Um, so, you know, probably the fact that I was in DC was a big influence, um, but I didn't necessarily like set out to do policy work. Um, in fact, I tried to join the government on a few occasions because as you know, you probably know, um, there are many government jobs, but the process is very long and bureaucratic to get them. And so one of the ways that um, makes it easier to get those jobs is through these various fellowships that are usually directed at students. And once you're not a student anymore, you're not eligible. Um, so anyway, I never ended up with one of those student fellowships, like the presidential management fellowship is a really common one, I think. Um, so I didn't do policy work, um, even though I sort of explored it. Uh, until this current position. Um, 
I also hadn't necessarily thought that I would go into academia, but um, through the like small chances, I had to do some teaching and just um, thinking about or just learning more about what academia involved. I um, was pretty attracted to that and I explored that too. Um, but anyway, things came together in um, various ways. Um, I got a postdoc after I finished the graduate degree, but not immediately. So I got some experiences doing different kinds of jobs. And then postdoc, um, from the postdoc, I got an industry job. And then came the pandemic like pretty soon after that. And that hasn't, I don't really know how much that's changed academia, but it sort of closed the door on academia for me at that point. Um, and then, yeah, eventually ended up in this job, which is my first very, very policy focused job. Um, so I'm learning a lot about policy. <laughs> but it's like interesting. It. It's interesting to hear kind of your journey where it's, you've considered all, not all, but a lot of different ways where you could use your degree. And I think that that's something that so often people in uh, emerging doctoral folks, whether they're PhDs, DRPH or whatever, they're grappling with how to pick what sector to be working in. And I'm curious, I mean, I know you said it was a combination of factors, like what made sense at the time for you and things you weren't in control of, but do you have advice on how one is able to narrow it down and what things were able to help you? I mean, one, you know, one thing about my experience is that it was, um, it was pretty like haphazard and disjointed. It was not, there was not a clear trajectory after I finished my PhD and I didn't really expect that. And I don't know how it is in other fields. And some of my colleagues, you know, had a much more sort of linear um, trajectory, but I, jumped around a lot. I was, um, like I said, very fortunate to have an, another year of funding basically after I graduated um, in the postdoc. But, and so I was drawn to academia for that reason, but it didn't guarantee an academic job. Um, and, you know, I think one of the reasons, which I think is true for a lot of people in a lot of fields, one of the reasons I ended up deciding not to go into academia is because I because of personal reasons, I didn't want to move, you know, to any random place. Um, so I focused my search on the places that everybody wants to be, you know, mostly around here in DC, and that's very competitive. Um, you know, and then as I mentioned with the with the pandemic, I think for you know a couple of years, nobody in higher education knew how things were going to be reshaped. So, um, yeah, so so something that was very clear for me, a determining factor for me was location and family and not, you know, not wanting, not being willing to move just anywhere. Um, but there were other things that yeah, happened to me that helped make the decision. Yeah, I understand that. And I'm, I guess I'm curious also if there was any role that mentors or some of your peers, like things you might have learned from them that helped really as you thought about what would make sense for you recognizing all of the factors that were already going to be influencing your decision. Like, was there any standout advice that you received from a mentor or an advisor or anything like that? Or, yeah. Well, I guess one thing I should have pointed out, you know, in the previous sort of description of the, the factors of um, the factors that shaped the trajectory is that, um, and I think a lot of today's doctoral students and all of my colleagues, you know, are still, dealing with this, um, the generation before us, you know, our advisors 
I think we're mostly male, you know, mostly um, uh, whatever, non-minorities and they, um, and academia was sort of a different beast, I think. And so they probably didn't um, think that much about what would happen after they finished their PhD, they would get a teaching job. And that's um, what happened, I think, to some of the advisors who influenced me the most. Um, So as much, you know, as important as they were for my experience, they didn't really understand that I was facing a different, you know, a different world kind of in terms of the job um, prospects. Um, But that's not to say that they weren't encouraging and helpful. Um, One of the pieces of advice that I remember from one of my advisors was actually really about encouraging me to, you know, when I was in like you in the throes of trying to finish the dissertation was just, um, he said, just finish it because it's your driver's license. And after that, you can figure out what you want to do. And so you don't have to make this, you know, this particular um, dissertation perfect. You can use it to to then pursue, you know, figure out what's out there and pursue that. Um, So I always think about that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess I'm also grateful to the advisors who helped me get teaching opportunities and helped me learn about yeah, how hard it is to teach, even though I really enjoyed that experience too. Um, so those are some of the things that come to mind. Yeah, that's, I'm really glad that you mentioned that there can be so many moments when an advisor or a mentor is really helpful and can understand parts of, well, they can understand parts of what make you want to pursue something different than them, but they may not know or have the words to be able to suggest something. So. And that's for a number of reasons, but it's, I think, something that a lot of people can identify with in terms of going, okay, yeah, I have a supportive advising community, but they're not the ones with the answers. And I'm Mm -hmm. curious then, like, then how do you find opportunities if the people that you're supposed to be asking for information Mm -hmm. from don't really get it in terms of what you're looking for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really important point that reminds me of really good piece of advice I got from a mentor she said um spend time you know organizing panels at conferences building relationships with your peers not you know not the advisors you think of as the superiors don't focus on them because they're gonna retire and um it's gonna be your peers who are the ones you know doing the research that you're interested in um and leading you know leading the field um so um yeah that was an inspiration to to do some things like organize some panels and just build I mean that was such a critical part of my PhD experience was the relationship with relationships with my peers um and you know I think that's kind of how I uh ended up in the current role is just because I was focused on getting to know the other people the other sort of North Africanists in D.C. And um, yeah, eventually led me to this institute where I work now. That's amazing. And I, I love that you really um, put put a mark and an important note on the, the value of connecting with our peers and realizing that they and we are experts in our own rights. And it's not always about gunning to talk to the most important person in the room, in quotes, yeah. but rather we are all most important people in different ways. And we're all coming up. So why not build community and strengthen those bonds that way, instead of always striving for the person who doesn't really have capacity to know you so fully necessarily. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's such a good point. So I just have a couple other questions for you. So I, um, I'm curious what specific career advice you would have for someone that's interested in your field or someone whose trajectory might look similar to yours where they know that they don't necessarily want to be in academia, but then there's a lot of different options. And they also know they might hop, but they're a little bit anxious about what that hopping would look like. Well, one thing that um, I would say that a lot of people said to me is, you know, just be patient and persistent. Um, yeah, I don't think I have the greatest sort of pulse on the, the job market right now, but I um, have some sense and I uh, think especially for master's students, but for PhD students too, it's just, yeah, it's just competitive. Um, yeah, maybe especially in DC, you know, and then with, with me, I'm glad that I tried to keep publishing and that was some advice too, you know, is whether or not you want to go into academia, if you want to go into academia, you know, you have to keep up your publication record, but, but even if you don't, it's, um, kind of a way to just get your name out there and, um, you, you kind of, you never know what, what it might lead to down the road when you, you know, when you keep writing and publishing. So that's, that's what I would say. That's helpful. Those are important notes. So as my last question, I'm really curious what inspires you right now? Well, probably I would say the same thing that has always inspired me, which is um, basically, you know, people who would be described as human rights defenders or people who are fighting for fighting to improve their societies and their countries. I mean, that was, you know, maybe it's overly romanticized, but that was what happened basically during the Arab Spring um, that I said, you know, attracted me to um, to return to graduate school. Um, and it's still happening in all kinds of ways, even if people are very disillusioned with what happened in the Middle East and North Africa in, the, um, in 2011 and those events. It's, um, there were very brave people before then who were willing to go to jail or risk their lives. Um, to change for real change and there still are um and of course not only in the middle east and north africa but that's um yeah that's the region i focus on so those are the human rights defenders i always sort of have in the front of my mind but um could be anywhere then yeah for me it's really inspirational yeah i understand that being inspired by your work but also the people you see that are really getting down and on their knees and doing the thing (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah I get that. Uh, Well, it's been so wonderful to hear your story and just learn a little bit about what your experience kind of pursuing your PhD, but then also existing after having received and achieved that has looked like. So I want to just thank you so much for taking time to chat today. Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. 